Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. My guest today is Dr. Alex George. Alex is an a and doctor, best-selling author, a news mental health ambassador to the government, and is probably best known as a Love Islander back in 2018. He grew up in Wales alongside his two brothers and studied medicine at the University of Exeter. However, his career took a slight detour a few years after graduating when he became a contestant on Love Island, winning the hearts of the nation. Alex has become a well-known and respected figure amongst healthcare professionals in the UK. From his years as an A&E doctor, bringing the nation accessible and reassuring advice directly from the front line throughout the pandemic. His book, Live Well Every Day, is a Sunday Times number one bestseller and is now available in paperback. After suffering his own personal tragedy, Alex is on a mission to improve mental health support for young people and has become prolific throughout the UK in his campaigning for early support hubs. And in February 2021, Alex was appointed by the Prime Minister as the Youth Mental Health Ambassador. As well as all of this, he can regularly be seen on our TV screens, radio shows, his own podcast, and even has his own self-care business prescribed, born out of his love of bath bombs. Alex has become a leading voice in mental health and physical health and well-being and uses his platform to make health and medicine more accessible to millennials and beyond. And I'm honoured to chat to him today all about the moments that have shaped his life so far. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Alex. Hey, Jenny. Thanks for having me. 
It's an absolute pleasure. Um, it's great to have you on, and especially as we kind of come towards Mental Health Awareness Week, and I'm really excited to delve into your moments. Um, and I mean, wow, you've done so much and continue to do so much. Um, so I wanted to start off by asking, what does a day look like for you at the moment? What is Dr. Alex up to right now? Um, that, that's, a, that's a good question. It's um, every, every day is quite different, I think. And, uh, you know, I, to be honest, one of the biggest things that attracted me about working in a in the first place when I started was was the fact that that, that it's, it's exactly that. You never know what to expect. You know, you know, each day it brings its challenges, its ups and its downs. And I, I enjoy that about life. And, you know, I, I think one of the key things towards finding, you know, fulfilling life is having a varied life. Um, and at the moment, it's certainly that. So, you know, a lot of my time is spent um, campaigning, um, yeah. a lot of it behind the scenes. Actually, like yesterday, I was at, um, I was I met with one of the MPs, uh, um, Dr. Luke uh, Evans, who's a, a GP and a, um, an MP. And uh, we're, we're kind of working together on some body image stuff. So mm-hmm. trying to work on legislation and the online harms bill to make sure that we're really focusing on protecting on people against the dangers of kind of, um uh, editing and all those kind of things so i was there at parliament yesterday um in the morning doing zooms and online calls like like that's yeah. normal now and you know things like content and, uh, as well so there's a lot of a lot of different things going on going on um I, you know and i love it I, re- I really enjoy it on the whole you know days some days are hard but that's yeah like, and you're still working in a&e i stopped actually i stopped working in a&e uh, last summer end of last summer because you know, I'm a big believer that in life that if you try and do everything, uh, you achieve absolutely nothing. Totally. And, uh, and I think one of the things that I I was getting to the point where I was burning out, to be honest. I worked throughout the pandemic. I worked almost every single day. I was then campaigning with the mental health work, which I've done for several years, but particularly you kind of heated up, as you alluded to, after my brother passed away. And and it, it, it just got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I had to make a decision for my own mental health as well as for my work and what I'm doing. And and the decision was, look, you know, let's just focus on what I feel I can have the most impact on. And this is, this is what I can achieve the most in. So um, A&E is... Stop for now. I don't know if I'll go back. I don't know what will happen, what the future will hold. But for now, it's focused on mental health work. I'm going to actually to university <laughs> to study um, a public um, a public mental health master's from September. So that's going to be kind of adding to my kind of skill sets and stuff. So plenty to do, plenty to get on with. And, Amazing. And you're so right. I think we sometimes do need to take a step back and say, I'm doing too much. I actually can't give... I'm not going to be the best I can be in everything I'm doing if I'm doing too much. And as you say, you can go back. It's just this time in your life. This is what you need to focus on. And I guess I also wanted to ask, what was the core reason why you wanted to become a doctor? I think, you know, as you say, some people want to be a GP. Some people want to work in trauma. What was it for you that really attracted you to want to have that as your profession? Well, I think, you know, I think often when you look at what career you choose in life, you know, one of the biggest things I talk to young people about this quite a lot, look at your skill sets, look at your strengths, mm. your weaknesses, because ultimately, and really, and actually, if you look a bit further than that, look at the things you like and that you don't like. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for one thing for me is I, I don't like sitting still. I don't mm-hmm. like doing the same thing too long. My concentration doesn't allow it. I'm not very good with too much writing because I'm dyslexic. I don't, I just don't. But I find that challenging, although for some reason I decided to write a book. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I think you've got to look at where your strengths are. So for me, I'm a people person. I love yeah. running around. I'm quite good in adrenaline situations. I'm quite calm. And so Amy was a perfect fit for me. And, and also I love meeting lots of people. Like yeah. I feel that um, you learn something from everyone you meet. And, you know, I had a really great piece of advice that was given to me by one of the consultants. And uh, he said, look, 
every patient you meet, you should learn something from. It's one thing that's clinical and one thing that's not clinical. So you might learn from a case about abdominal pain, some feature of whatever disease, but also learn something about that person, come away and really understand something about them. And, and I've learned so much from people, especially elderly people, actually. Oh, yeah. Get some Wisdom. Time, but elderly people have seen it and done it all. Like the world might have changed. We don't have social media, we don't have all this stuff, but they've done life and yeah. they've experienced an endured life. And I think there's a lot to be said from that. And particularly with attitudes towards life. And, you know, I mean, I always ask elderly people, what do they regret? What are your yeah. regrets in life? And and almost always the things they regret, the things they didn't do, not the things they did do. And I think that's a really good kind of take home, a kind of a piece of advice that I, I took and, and, and I try and pass on is that, I, you know, I think, you know, particularly for young people, you're, te- you, you're in your teenage years, your 20s and stuff, like just do things, try things, experiment, get things wrong, fail and, yeah. and develop more for that. It's so true. Like they were all young once, even though we forget, like we forget that our grandparents were young once. Like we just see them being old people. Exactly. They lived in a freer world as well. Yeah. No social medias, no phone. You just go and enjoy yourself. So true. But I love what you said, because we actually had Dr. Hillary on the podcast a while ago and he spoke a lot about the legend and he spoke about, you know, he did like a lot of theatre and drama and when he was applying for med school, everyone, um, I remember he was asking his interview, an academic question, or, or why is this re- in relation to being a doctor? And he was like, it's communication skills. It's, you know, yeah. being a doctor doesn't have to just be the academia side of stuff. And I think what's brilliant about the profession of a medics is that you can find something that suits you and your personality. Yeah. As you say, like, that's just you. You like the trauma, not the trauma, but you like yeah. the moving around. You don't just want to sit, but then you might find someone that wants to be a GP and Wants the regularity of seeing the same people all the time and building those relationships. Well, um, I think it's as much as anything. I think it's not even just about medicine. It's about life. I mean, yeah. you know, and what you're doing. You know, you're saying you do it. You're still doing your day job, and you're also doing this on top. And I think, you know, people traditionally had one job for their whole life, and never varied, and they yeah. just they did that job. And I, I, I don't want to live that life. And no. medicine, very traditionally, you know, Dr. Hillary alluded to it there. Really, is medicine used to be like, you know, you go to med school, you work, you don't do anything outside of medicine apart from papers and. You don't step out of the hierarchical stepladder and, and I don't believe that's the way to live I, and I don't think it makes you I think actually having an enriched life outside of medicine can mm-hmm. make you a much better doctor and yeah of course a lot of the experiences I've had in the hospital helped me in what I'm doing now because you know I, I've seen kind of firsthand the effects that mental health can have on people but also um you know the, the stuff I've done outside you know adds so much to my work you know the, the, you know going to schools meeting people or you know when I, when I was younger I used to teach at an after school club or the sports things that I've done all those things come together and give you like an experience that that is beneficial so you know people are listening going oh gosh I, you know shall I do this you know is this the right thing to do as per my career path whatever just go and do it I mean most often you can almost always come back to where you are you, you know if I wanted to go back to A&E you know touch wood without being saying I could go back tomorrow you yeah. know I, I can go back tomorrow they're not gonna go oh no you can't go back you've been doing this other stuff they need A&E doctors exactly exactly and I also wanted to ask, so you say about all the other things that you've done, how did it feel being appointed the mental health ambassador? Because I'm guessing it, does it feel like a lot of responsibility on your shoulders or kind of based on all of your, you know, your experiences, do you feel like this is something that kind of was born out of the tragedy that you went through? 
Well, you know, I started campaigning around a mental health provision, particularly education at schools in 2018. I actually saw Theresa May in number 10 uh, all those years ago and, uh, and and spoke to her about it. So it's been something that's been building for a long time. It's been kind of in my focus, I guess. But of course, you know, my brother took his life uh, pretty uh, unexpectedly uh, in the summer of, uh, well, it was just over a year ago now, or a bit more than a year ago. And uh, and it was a huge shock. So I kind of wanted to use that energy to kind of do something with it and, and just not let it kind of destroy me kind of thing. So I spent kind of five, six months after he passed away, just learning, speaking mm-hmm. to people, you know, from experts to lay people, to teachers, to students, to find out what's going on. And I came together the list that, that, that basically collated everything that I found out from evidence and research to opinions to whatever. And I, and I started his campaign to say, look, I want to speak to Boris and just just present to him what I found. Yeah. And it went viral and number 10 reached out. And and, and, it, and from then on, you know, I never intended to be in that role. And that role was never there that I like, applied for this role or something. Yeah. It happened, you know, it's quite funny because people at the time said, oh, you know, you know, how, you know, you appointed this role, you know, you're not a psychiatrist or whatever. I said, it wasn't a role. It happened because I made it. Um, yeah, and frankly, been, it's experience, um, it's life, you know, it's what right, we all go through. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, you know, and, and, and when it came about, the Prime Minister said, look, you know, and I'm and to be clear, I volunteer, um, but I'm not, it's, uh, you said, look, you know, come and work with us. You're not part of government, you, you know, volunteer in your role, you've got independence, but you work with us to look at projects we can do, working on stigma, working on, um, you know, where we should be putting funding and so, and so on and so forth. And at the start, it was it was really, really terrifying. It was incredibly yeah, stressful. Yeah. The whole the pressure of the whole country was almost on my shoulders from a mental health perspective. But yeah. quickly realised, like I said earlier, it's that whole point of don't try and do too much focus. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I quickly had to start saying no to everyone. And people got very upset. I said, no, I can't speak to you. everyone that in the mental health space. Everyone wanted to talk. And if yeah. I tried to speak to every single one, and there's not enough hours of the day, so I had to say no to so many people who some of them understood, some of them didn't. But it was the right thing to do because it allowed me to narrow in into what I believe I can do and what I can achieve. And so, you know, uh, we started, uh, one thing I'm big, big about is anti-bullying. Uh, we started uh, Don't Face It Alone, which is a campaign that's partnered with Dan Reward, anti-bullying charity, Number 10 Down Street, myself, which we held We've, we made videos for the um, secondary school and primary school kids across the country. We held a, a really big awareness day at number 10 with kids there and the prime minister there. You know, that's one of the projects I worked on. And of course, the, the support hubs, which I'm, you know, is a long term campaign, but something I'm, I'm working on. So really what I'm saying, I think, is that you've got to just find the bit you care about, focus on that. And if people want to criticise or whatever, actually, the sport I've had has been pretty unbelievable, to be honest. And I yeah. work with I work with a lot of the kind of top people across the sector, you know, day in, day out. But, you know, you will get criticism in life, but you shouldn't live your life for the critics. You live your life for what you want to do. Exactly. And I think, you know, you have to be relatable. Like you have to show people like, you know, you're looking after your own mental health. If you're going to be an ambassador for this, you've got to kind of you have your up days, you have your down days. Um, And I think, you know, I have no idea how much that pressure feels, but I'm guessing the more you kind of do, the more you kind of, as you say, feed into it. You yeah, I think it's, it's like a, it's like people say, you know, what's it like to stand there and you know have a cardiac arrest in A and E and be running that or whatever. And I said, well, you don't just go in and do it, do you? You don't take someone who's eighteen years old and go right, go and run the cardiac arrest. You build up over many, many yeah. years from 
even just not even being in the room and hearing about it to, you know, taking blood from someone that's well, seeing an unwell patient, to watching a cardiac arrest, to, you know, you know, just standing there and writing notes to the cardiac arrest. You build up over the years to be mm-hmm. in that position and, you know, find this that kind of happened in some element overnight. But obviously I'm, I'm used to public pressures and I think it's just something you get even more and more used to. And I wouldn't say that I'm complacent with it now, but I think it certainly is something that I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with. I'm comfortable where I am with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've been reading your book for a few months now. I'm quite a slow reader, so don't judge me. Um, and I wanted to ask because it, it's it's such a unique way to write a book, and it kind of reminds me a bit of like when I did my dissertation at school, like at uh, university. Sorry, it's yeah. it's got so much research, brings so much together. What made you first of all want to write it? But how did you even start kind of pulling all of this stuff together? I think I started, like most of the time, when you write, I think, a book, you you kind of want to answer a question or have a question in mind that you want to kind of cover, I guess. And for me, what I found fascinating, I think, from my experience at school and even university is that I didn't really learn about how to look after myself. And even Mm -hmm. in med school, you don't learn that kind of stuff. And so I really wanted to write a book that I wish that I'd read, you know, in my teens and 20s about sleep about exercise what do you actually know diet there's so much stuff about nutrition out there what is the stuff you actually need to know about sex about relationships about your mental health and I just try to put a bit of a manual together really in terms of just a general you know live well kind of like how you know how to book and I want it to be relatable I think there's only preachy books out there and I don't want to be about that and I talk about opening the book some parts are you know especially diet I mean I fall off the bandwagon of eating healthy we all do. regularly regularly yeah. And, and that's okay. And so I wanted to kind of make that book. It was more like, right, let's cut like everyone pretending that we're all perfect all the time. You know, this is what you need to know and try and do a lot of the time. And and, and that's that's why I did it. But it wasn't, it was really hard, actually. Oh my to God, do I can't it. imagine. It was really hard. But I, I'm really glad I've done it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing another book at the moment, which is great as well. So, um, you know, there's going to there's gonna be more, but it takes me a while. There's a slow reader. I'm a slow writer. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And I, one thing that really stood out to me, and you alluded to it before, but I want to delve into it a bit because it really resonates with me, is your section on purpose and passion um and how that relates to our mental health and kind of um every part of our lives because I think we all need to find something that feeds our soul whether it's kind of like a spin class that you do every week whether it's mentoring a side hustle I think it's it's so important to have something that's for you that you're in control of and you know for me that's the podcast I talk about this a lot I do a lot of talks at my work about it it's changed my life. It's made me happier. It's made me better at my job. It's made me better as a friend. Um, and it's something that I can channel a lot of my negative energy into because it's something that's mine and I can do it. And I guess, um, what I wanted to ask you is that I think another thing is it doesn't have to be your job. I think your passion, your purpose doesn't have to be what you do every day. I think you've done very well at kind of you know, medicine and mental health is your passion, your purpose, but you've branched off into other little things. So what do you kind of, what is your passion and what is kind of your purpose? Because I think a lot of people would say it's being a doctor, but actually, is it that? Yeah. Well, I I mean, the reason I put it as the first chapter of Live Well Every Day is because I think it's absolutely fundamental and central to everything. You can talk about diet and sleep and all these different things as much as you want. If you don't feel you have a a purpose in life, passion comes along with it, but purpose, you know, a reason to be. A purpose is a reason to, is your why. It's your why. 
life. And if you don't have that, nothing else will stick. And I think a lot of people are unhappy in life because they don't feel that they have purpose. And it doesn't have to, as you said, it doesn't have to be changing the world and climbing Everest and planting a tree on top or whatever. It just mm-hmm. has to be something that you feel you care about each day. And it doesn't have to be altruistic either. It can be your your purpose could be you want to, I don't know, you want to go and work with, I don't know, work marketing at companies and make companies bigger and better or whatever it could be anything but you've got to feel that you have a place on this planet I think Definitely. that's so important and and it takes time to find that and I don't think you always need to know it I don't think you always need to feel like I know exactly what it is but if you're heading in that general direction you'll often find your way into the right place and I think that's important and, and in terms of passion passion's really a very important to sit alongside purpose and a very important to sit alongside the rest of your life because passions are things that you do that just give you a kick for no other reason than they give you a kick. Um, yeah. For me, I guess the way to explain it is my purpose in life is my 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 mental health work. That to me is, is like, why do you exist, Alex? It's like to make mental health in this country better. That is it, right? But my, per- but my passions are outside. You know, my biggest passion is probably cars. I mean, I love yeah. one, I love motor racing, my granddad used to be racing drive my daddy's gloves is covered all petrol hats we love it and so I love my cars and that that for me there's there's nothing beneficial in it other than the fact that I enjoy it you know mm-hmm. and, and 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 you know I'll, I'll sit every night my unwind includes uh watching YouTube videos of, of a guy called Shmi who does videos on cars I mean that that's me yeah. and I think and I think you should just own the things that you're passionate about you could be passionate about anything you're passionate about painting nails or it could be painting or it could be music or it could be the most silly stuff it doesn't really matter but there's got to be something that you kind of put your energy into you you mentioned tennis before we started this and that's a perfect example of the passion you know you go all right it is a form of exercise but I suspect the reason you do it is more than that it's probably the reason you go along with social you're there with a friend or whatever and you're outside you're doing something you just enjoy and that is definitely A hundred percent. And I think one thing I always talk about is that, you know, a lot of people that are mothers and have families and are like, my kids are my purpose. I think they are, but I think you still always need to find something for you. I think it's, what is your time? And I think, you know, I searched for so long, what's my purpose, what's my passion? And I think I used to try and find it through my job because my job is my passion. I love what I do, but there was always something more and as you say I think it's finding those tiny little nuggets of things that is just you and it makes you happy and it's what you can do to kind of bring yourself out of the everyday that you have. Well it's it's kind of I think it's getting to understand in a long time to kind of get understand this is that your purpose you can be passionate about your purpose mm-hmm. i don't i think you've got to be careful like exactly what you're saying is that you know it's like people talk about it they say i've heard it mentioned about music and musicians saying oh yeah you know i loved music until i made it my job and you know it was you know and i think that's because you kind of you basically have too much invested in one thing that's become your passion and your purpose with nothing else yeah. so if music, if music has become your purpose and become like what you do it's your main thing your work and everything you need something else like playing golf whatever yeah. it is I don't know something else and and so like kind of what you're saying if you feel that your job is your your purpose and this is your kind of your passion or it might be vice versa totally. maybe, maybe, maybe you're passionate about your job but your purpose is this that's fine but I think having a clear separation and having even if you have a couple of passions it's fine you know and I think it's useful I say in the book you know write down what your passions are and ask yourself when's the last time I did that when's the last time I did that and you know and with your purpose what are you doing in your life that meets your purpose so if your purpose if you feel that your purpose is to become a teacher you want to teach young people you want to educate what are you doing to step towards that purpose totally. you're going in the opposite direction yeah you're probably feeling unhappy in life because you're not going towards where you want to be 
and, and I just it's small mm, steps isn't it like you steps. could just you could just mentor someone where on the side on the side of your job you might have a job that you hate you might want to become a teacher but start mentoring someone on the side start teaching someone something so that it's you like can if you're, build you're it. a musician and you think oh you know I really want to be a t- teach and educate well can you do can you do music lessons can you yeah. teach guitar as well so like find ways in your life to bring things in because you know th- there's always a way that you can adapt to your life I think to be what you want it to be a hundred percent. And I think another thing you mentioned before, which was brilliant, was the fact that it's just looking outside of everything. So as you say, you can talk to somebody one day in a hospital about learning something different, like small, it makes such a big difference. It's changed my mental health so, so much finding my passion. And, you know, it, as I say, it makes me better at my job. It makes me a better friend. It makes everything. So it's, it's not being very narrow minded. You've got to realize that every small thing can help the bigger stuff. Um, definitely. And before we go on to talking about your moments, one thing I also really wanted to touch on was, um, because it's also something that's quite um, close to my heart, is the importance of kind of mental health and the medication side of stuff. Because I know you do something called Post Your Pill um, on your Instagram. And I think I've never really spoken about this, but I'm someone who used to worry a lot that, you know, you know, medication was all about, you know, you'd get addicted to it and they were happy pills and had this massive perception. And during the pandemic, I had a slight kind of physical and mental, um, I'd probably call it a breakdown where, you know, my head felt okay, but my body was shutting down. I was crying every day. My, I remember calling 111 being like, I'm having a heart attack all the time. And I could not understand what was going on. And I was just always so against going on medication. And I, I got a lot of help and realized that actually, you know, my brain's not getting enough of the chemicals it needs. And just like, you know, you could be taking blood medication or diabetes medication. And I was so, so scared of being addicted to happy pills and these pills changing my life. And they did change my life, but for a much different reason. And I guess they are no quick fix. I'm not saying they, you know, I took them and they made me feel better, but I think it's important to open up this discussion because I think there's such a taboo. And I wanted to ask, why is the education of this so important to you? I mean, you can say a lot more from a medical standpoint. No, than no, I no, do. no, no. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's great. The more and the whole point of post your pill was encouraging normal people and people that others can relate to to just talk about the fact they take medication, you know, and that they live their lives in the way they do. Because I think it's a surprise. If you sit in a room, you've got, fit, let's say, 20 people in a room, you can guarantee that, you know, probably four, five, six of those people are taking medication. So true. Up, and none of them will admit to it, right? Yeah. And, 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 but everyone would admit if they've taken paracetamol before for a headache or if they broke mm-hmm. their arm or in a cast. But if you start talking about it, no one would say anything. So, you know, I started, I've had anxiety for a long, long time. And I've never really, I kind of really got on top of it that well. And it really, really peaked um, after my brother passed away and actually after I signed the mental health role where, you know, the anxiety went through the roof and it got to the point where I wasn't controlling it at all. It was controlling me. And I think it's very useful, you know, for anyone listening to this or thinking, you know, how do I know when I need help? If you're asking yourself that question, you've got your answer. It's a very, yeah. very simple, fail-safe way of doing it, right? And I was like, oh, gosh, do I need help? And I was like, God, oh, I need to listen to my own advice here. So I went to the doctor and it started my sertraline. So it's a anti-anxiety medication and uh, there are other ones that are available just so I can do the one I was prescribed and I thought I really need to I felt real I felt it was really important for me to share the fact that I was doing it because I thought you know I felt such a bit of shame and a bit of doing this that I feel like that what are other people feeling like and and so I posted it explained why used the hashtag post your pill and you know, it's, it went really, really big. And I think it went really big because people related to it. So many people that probably sat there at home thinking, oh, God, that's me as well. Yeah. Also, oh, actually, if I share and post this, other people feel more comfortable. And there was that snowball effect 
which was unbelievable. And you had sportsmen doing it. And what was amazing was at the start, very few men were doing it. And, and there were mostly women mm-hmm. posting. And all of a sudden, like a few men started, cricketer did it and all this kind of stuff. And it snowballed. And you had like, you know, builders doing it and people that you traditionally and stereotypically traditionally wouldn't be seen to talk about that were posting it. And, you know, I do it the first of every month and I encourage other people to post with me because I think that's the only way you can encourage others and break the stigma is by doing that. And as you mentioned, it's it's not about quick fixes. It's not pro-medication. I'm just pro-choice. Uh, and people feeling that if they have the, they should be able to have the freedom of choice that if they they need something they can choose to have it whether that's therapy medication whatever it might be so and I keep doing it for as long as I you know as long as I need to and every month people message me every month almost daily people go do you know what I've seen the GP I, I saw that campaign I saw those posts and I thought I'm going to go and they they I've had people that message me now that start, that they went to the GP when I first started and they're kind of a good few months down the line and they're saying like almost that like you mentioned that it's changed their lives but in a good yeah. way it's not changed their lives and changed who they are they're not suddenly a completely different person they just can function again they feel happier they feel positive they can start doing the things the well-being activity they know could help them but that maybe they couldn't face before and, and that's what it's all about as you as you kind of mentioned you know uh, certainly the way it works is it's an SSRI so it it, it blocks the reuptake of serotonin, one of the key neurotransmitters in our brains. And, and by doing that, it's boosting that brain glucose in a way, that brain mm-hmm. sugar that we need every day. And if you've been anxious for years or you've been depressed for years or you're just really struggling to cope, it's quite possible that your sugar levels in your brain are low. Exactly. And that's why it can really help. But nothing else to give your brain a bit of time to recover, a bit of positivity for, you know, and, and, and a bit of a lift for, you know, a while. A lot of people go on it and come off, you know, this idea that you're on it, that's it. You know, you might be, you might be someone that takes for life, and that's fine. Exactly. And listen, it's not for everybody, but I think the message that you're saying is so important. It's educate yourself on what that medication does. Yeah. And I think that for me was eye opening. It was, you know, I, you, it doesn't necessarily, you know, you don't have to be someone that sat there every day feeling really low and depressed all the time being like, oh, I just need medication. It can be really small things, as you say, that, you know, that you realize, okay, this is different. This is different and builds up and just educate yourself on different things. Cause yeah. I think that, and I think that's, what's brilliant about what you're doing. Um, and I will stop asking you medical questions now and we'll go on to kind of talking about more of the sliding doors theory and I guess before we go into your brilliant moments I wanted to ask you what are your beliefs in fate everything happening for a reason the sliding doors theory what do what do you believe about all of that I believe that you you end up where you're intended to be. I think I believe in the law of intention. So, you know, and I don't mean intention of saying, all right, I wake up and I'm, I want to be a Formula One driver. Uh, you know, if you're if you're just saying I want to be a Formula One driver, but you're not taking any steps towards that, it's not going to happen. But chances are, if you go to karting when you're young or you turn up to race circuits, you start speaking to other drivers and, you know, people that do racing, you start speaking to engineers, all of a sudden you get into the circle. You, you The chances of you ending up uh, a Formula One driver are still very small, but they're much more likely than if you don't ever take that first step. You know, it, it, it's like um, it's like anything in life. You know, you can't say, you know, is it is it is it fate that Ronaldo is one of the best footballers in the world? Um, it, I, I think the law of intention says that you know, if you train every day like he did for X number of hours and you are six foot two and you're naturally you're genetically built to be that way all yeah. those things come together and you're you know you are you become this this person and so in a sense yes i i i do believe i fate is a difficult thing because fate implies like a higher power but fate mm-hmm. can also just mean that you've just ended up moving in a certain direction that will end up somewhere like you know if you if you end up walking north 
northwest, southeast. If you decide I'm going north, you'll probably end up in the north, right? Yeah. And I do believe in that. It doesn't mean life doesn't move in different ways and totally. things happen. But I think if you keep walking north, you will end up going north. That's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> and you make a good point as well, which we speak about a lot, is, is preparation for fate. Yeah. I think, you know, we can opportunities will be presented to us that could be luck and that could be by chance but you kind of have to be ready for those opportunities if they're what you want in life well, I, I mean I, I believe what I my my theory of success and I mean success not in people's thing about, like financial I'm just talking about success in anything you anywhere you want it to be is I believe it's 10 percent hard a 10 percent um uh skill or mm-hmm. knowledge in that area 10 percent luck and 80 percent hard work so yeah. if you believe the fate probably ends up in the luck section luck or fate what is it who knows but it, it, you cannot rely on that 10 percent because then you exactly. think you've got a law of chances you've only got one in 10 chance of getting there but yeah. if all of a sudden you work damn hard you kick a football five hours a day uh, and you've got a bit of talent all of a sudden your odds are going really really high like with young people now i try and Say to them as well as as, as part of all of the things you look at with your own well-being, your own mental health. One part of that is resilience and building up your ability to deal with knockbacks. You know, I I always say, you know, one of the things I I always repeat again and again is that you learn far more from failure than success. Definitely, success you go, great, that went well, didn't it? When you fail, you really analyze what went wrong. It hurts. You know, there's a this fit in dust and feathers. You're annoyed about it, right? And then you want to know why why did that happen? And you pick yourself up and you go again. And then whenever you got the next challenge, you're armed with your failure. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yes. And that leads very nicely onto your first moment, which is missing out on the grades needed for medical school the first time around, but not giving up and getting in. So it's really interesting, actually. We've had a few doctors on the podcast and all of them have kind of not got into their first choice of uni or not passed their exams. And it's a really interesting point. And I think it's something that's really important to kind of share with people. So explain how this was a sliding doors moment for you. How did you miss out on the grades uh, to get in the first time around? So I went to, I was, I grew up in West Wales and I went to a secondary school that 
I mean, it was a state school. I, 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 it wasn't the greatest school, to be honest. I think, uh, you know, I had something like four different chemistry teachers and three different biology teachers in my A-levels. It was just, it wasn't, I don't think it was a school, should we say, that are churning out academic high achievers. I think, and I'm not trying to knock the, the school, I'll probably really upset me saying that, but I think it's the truth. Um, you know, I, there's no other medics, people applying to medicine in my year, you know? Yeah. So it, 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 it's, it was it was a challenge in that sense, um, but I was really, really keen to become a medic. I really wanted to do it. My parents, non-medical, there's no medical that I know, but I just really wanted to do, wanted to do it for, for different reasons, and, and, um, and I was set on that. But unfortunately, when it came to results day, and I had my place at Liverpool in hand, medical school, um, I missed out in my chemistry, A, a grade, and you did all A's, by two marks. And the reason I missed out oh my is that my coursework was down graded from like an A to a D because they found literally when I went back and looked at it, it was two lines that were wrong and anyway oh they dropped they, the way they marked was crazy it was just like but anyway they dropped it all down and the med school said no we won't take him and my head teacher wrong and said trust me if you take Alex he will you'll come out of distinction you'll end up your best pupil like I can tell you this guy is going to be good yeah. trust me no no, not having really? the place. So, and was Liverpool your first, like, did you always really yeah, want to go yeah, there? Yeah, I wanted to, my friend was going to do, my friend did dentistry up there, my best friend, my very best friend did dentistry mm. up there. We were going to go together. So it was really painful because I watched my best friend go to his first choice, missing the opportunity of us going together and everything that that would have brought. It was really, really, really painful. But that pain really helped because I thought, you know what, what am I going to do, give up? I was like, no way, absolutely no chance. And I remember my mum saying, look, what can you can do now? And I said, I'm going to go again. And so I spent literally a couple of hours sorting the coursework out, resubmitted that coursework um, to apply again the next year. And, and it was one of those moments where that was my first real failure in life, mm-hmm. but it was the greatest lesson. And, you know, I got my grades. I got a place at Peninsula Medical School, which actually turned out to be fantastic. Um, and in that year, I got to go and see my granddad out in South Africa and do amazing things that were also really helpful but I think when I went to medical school I really had tasted that taste of like oh my god I nearly couldn't do this I nearly had to not do my dream job and you know I came out with distinction like I I came out top of the year and and I and and and, you know I think that failure was the reason I did that and you know even since then I've always I'm always you know you fail all the time but you should if you can if you if you can you should try not to fail at the same thing so it's like the idea of not making the same mistake again and again and exactly again. You know, yes. einstein's einstein's i think it's einstein's theory of madness isn't it so repeating the same doing the same thing again and again and again expecting mm-hmm. a different outcome you know if you if you plug the same numbers into the calculator over and over again you get the same number out don't you so yeah that's the that's the kind of theory um and yeah i think that that that's helped me and 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 it built that resilience in me and actually I, I think this moment's great because it really feels like it's kind of meant to be because, as you say, it was such a small thing that made you fail that year, like a few marks. And I guess what's so interesting when you look back at these things is those few marks that changed it, changed everything for you. It's all about, wow. you know, wow. you were a year you were a year on, the people that you met on your course were different, the university you went to was different, everything was different because all of that. And I wanted to ask you, I know you've kind of said it, but did you, was there ever a moment when you thought, I'm not, I, I'm quitting, I don't want to be a doctor? Or were you just like, no, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get there? No, I, I'm pretty relentless. I wanted it and uh, it just made me more more sure about it, really. But one of the things, as I said, is that, uh, you know, I was relentless about being a doctor. But I never had this belief that I would just be doing medicine. And, you know, 
the 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 second one we'll talk about, I know, is, is going on Love Island, but it, it it's it, it's one of those things where, and I don't mean it's not about that. I never wanted to necessarily go on that show, but I always had a belief that you know, I'm whatever it might be, that I do something else as well. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like this idea of doing one thing for the rest of my life and not having other. You know, I've always had this, and sometimes it's a real negative actually, but I've always had this feeling that I never want to look back on my life and think I didn't send it enough and I didn't live it enough, and I've got this it's sometimes actually to to be honest it's one of the biggest drivers of my anxiety yeah oh my god I'm exactly the same if I I wake up on a Saturday and I miss my alarm it never happens because I would never allow it to happen but say I woke up at midday I would be absolutely seething would ruin my day because I would I'd I'd, I'd wasted my time I'd waste you can't change it and I can't get that time back so when it came to to, to Love Island having the opportunity to go on there. I mean, you know, I never applied for the show they asked me, but I, I came into that situation of being like, to get one life, you know, what, mm-hmm. what, what are you going to do? And, you know, I lost a very good friend of mine at uni, Freya, to, to leukemia, and she, she was just amazing. And before she passed away, she said to me, I've got to be less afraid and say yes more and be someone that, you know, just makes the most of life. And, I mean, it might sound really cheesy way you know toys I didn't want to talk about Love Island but I thought you know what I'm going to do it like whatever um and it just happened you know and and that that show has changed my life I mean there's no other way of saying it I mean it's really crazy I often can't really believe that I even was on there but it has changed my life and it doesn't define me and I I think that um I think that there's things that I've done that I will I think are much more I hope are much more important in 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 my life and things that I'll remember but I do hugely appreciate that, that making that decision has created everything else it's brought Definitely. The, it's brought the good the bad and the ugly yeah and we'll talk about love island in a minute and i guess before we do i wanted to ask you do you ever think about how different would your life have been if you had got the grades and gone to liverpool and you know not failed the first time around do you ever think like how different things would be now for you what would be completely well life would be completely different you know, even to the point where you could say, would my brother still be here? He might, he might be a different set of circumstances that happened. You, you never know. And when you start thinking about those things, it can be quite dangerous sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, for the example of that, I could have been at home or God knows what would have been different that I might have, that might have, you know, I could have been working in Wales. And I don't know, there's all sorts of things to think about. And and I think that's why it's important. Don't ever think about the turn not taken. And I think that the grab point is important. You know, if you take a decision, you own it and you stick with that and you go, this is the decision I've made. And, you know, uh, you, you see stuff like if you look at it, I, you know, I decided, I guess, a, a, an added additional sliding moment, I guess, would be the decision of staying in um, staying in the hospital and working throughout the pandemic rather than going home. You know, I never saw my brother again because I made the, I made the choice to work in that hospital and not go home. And that that for me was a it was a decision that that is that is, you know, affected the rest of my life. Yeah. You can't think that way in the sense of, oh, God, I should have done that. What if this? You've got to just own own your decisions. And that's why I think it's important that you always take the decision that you truly believe was right. Because the thing yeah. you regret probably is not making a decision, making the wrong decision. It's making a decision that you didn't really want to make. Or that that's, was against your gut. Like, was against, yeah. Yeah. Trust yeah. your gut because your gut is almost always right. And even if it's not right, it was still your gut. Definitely. And, you know, you wouldn't have met the people that you met at the university you went to. And there's so many positives that come out of failure. And I think that's a really brilliant moment and message to say to people. And we'll go on to your second moment, which is saying yes to Love Island. And I guess this is such a big one, but I wanted to unpick it slightly because I think I would have expected you to have said my moment is 
applying to Love Island. I think a lot of people probably won't realise that you didn't apply to Love Island. You were kind of approached to be on it. So explain how did this moment happen for you? How did you even kind of get approached to be on the show? Well, so, someone I basically was on a dating app Bumble, which probably, probably a lot of people were aware of. And then I got a DM, I guess they'd see me on there, a producer had seen me and said, oh, you know, we, we you know, be, you, you seem an interesting character, obviously not really spoken to me, but would you be interested in having a chat about Love Island and just, just having a chat? And I thought it was a prank for one of my mates and was like, oh, whatever. And did you through. watched it before? Yeah, I used to watch yeah. it, but I ne- never would. I mean, you know, I'm an introverted person that would mm-hmm. never dreamed of going on the show, quite frankly. I would never have replied. There's yeah. not even like a thing. And anyway, um, you know, I spoke to my consultants at the hospital, I was laughing about it, and she was a huge fan of the show. And she was like, <laughs> to do an interview. She said, like, you know what, if you go on there, why not? Whatever, like... Who cares? And and I was like, okay, fine, I'll talk to them. And just, you know, it's a long story, really. But I ended up going to an interview and, you know, the people, the guys went before me are just like big, muscly. <laughs> oh my God, up. I can only imagine. It was awful, it was awful actually. And and uh, and they're not trying to judge those people at all, but it was, they, you know, some of the people that I were with were just not my kind of people. The way that well, also, you didn't put yourself in that the situation. Way about yeah. women and one of them got kicked out because it'd been derogatory to one of the producers. <laughs> it was just like the worst group. No offence to them, but it was. And uh, anyway, um, I they were in there for about five minutes. I was the last person to go. I was there for like an hour. And I just was chatting. I just, you know, like, we're talking now. I, just, yeah. I, I didn't care. I was in the pub with my mates afterwards. I didn't yeah, care. the pressure but wasn't I, there. Yeah, I just, you know, I turned up in my jeans and a T-shirt, you know. And anyway, so... Um, uh, I had a phone call cycling home from work. Um, the phone was going off. I used it for maps to get back from Lewisham. And I pulled over and answered the phone. And they said, I was the exec here from ITV, Love Island. And, you know, we want to speak to you. And, you know, so anyway, I ended up another meeting with them. And they said, we want you to start as an original. And then I was faced with that thing of what do I do now? And Yeah, how did you make that February. decision? Most people probably in September. This is in February time. And I only had a couple of months to kind of get ready, get my life in order, to kind of train a bit because I felt like a lot of pressure to kind of look a certain way. And, you know, it was difficult, but I just asked, I honestly thought the way I decided was I thought, what, what would Freya say? And she'd say, do it. And that is, really? that's why I made the decision. I just went oh, for I it. That. Just owned it. I just like, do you know what? Let's just do it and see what happens. And it is risky because especially, I mean, now there's a lot more medics online and it's much more like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, but at the time, media medics, it was very frowned upon. And yeah. it's funny now. I find it, I do find it funny. I don't want to say that I started this because there were medics before me online. No, you're so right. And, and now, like, it's a huge change. I mean, there's so many medics online, which I think is a great thing because, like, the pandemic, mm-hmm. having medics on social media has allowed us to fight fake news, to put true and, uh, like, trusted uh, information out there that wouldn't be there otherwise. And I think the pandemic has been the greatest validation for medics speaking a bit more and having Definitely. a bit more voice. Because med- medicine has been so insular in the past. Everyone's so afraid to talk about things. Oh, God, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, say anything or don't talk about work or, you know, we might end up in the front of the GMC. Well, it, it's a profession, isn't it? And I think, you know, you grew, you're brought up to be like, it's a profession and it's, it's you oh. know, it's it, you can't, it's, it is what it is and you can't be a normal person if you're a yeah. doctor. Mm. And I think we all have this perception, but I you said before that you follow your gut. When you make big decisions like going on Love Island, are there are there also people in your life? I know you speak about, you know, think about what your friend Freya would have said, but is there also people in your life that you go to that you respect and kind of talk yeah. to about what would they say is the I, right I, thing I do to think do? you've got to be very careful in life. There's a great there's another great bit of advice I was given by my by Adam, who was, who was the dentist. He always used to say, um, you know, keep your counsel close. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very, very wise advice. And I've not always followed it. And it's bit me in the backside every time. Don't tell, be careful. Jordan Peterson says this. 
be careful who you share good news with and be oh, careful totally yeah because those some of those people use that against you and and I've had that too many times and it's one of the lessons that I talk about making the same mistake I don't not very good at learning that one and um, so but I, I, I mean there's there's two or three friends I talk to my parents as well I talk to and they're the people that I will cancel and I, and I'm certainly now more than ever I'm trying to keep that really really close that circle because yeah you end up in trouble otherwise the smaller it is actually the better and you realize that as you get older and what were your kind of biggest fears before you went on the show? Did you did you have any fears about going um, on there? Or did I think you just kind of roll with it? Number one was the career. I mean, would yeah. it my career? But I felt confident. I know who I am and how I behave. And I, I, I was like, there's nothing I'm going to do that's going to affect that. So, no, I think that was it, really. And also, I mean, I was, I, to be honest, looking back, I, knowing what I know now, I clearly would have been afraid of the kind of fame and stuff like that. But bear in mind, it, it, that was the first series. I mean, it was... Like there was a couple of people that came off the year before that was big, but it wasn't after our series. It was huge. Yeah. And I just thought I'm going to be on there for two weeks, maybe even a week. I'll be back in A&E. And I was very naive. You know, like mm-hmm. everyone else had agents and managers that had like 20,000 followers on Instagram. I had 250 followers. <laughs> You're like, I just go back to my job. I didn't know fine. how to use stories yeah. or anything. Like it really wasn't like a thing for me. So I was naive. And I think actually, thank God I was, because I would never have gone on if I understood it. Definitely. And did your mental health suffer from being on the show at all? I think being on it is a challenge. I mean, people think that it's just like sitting in the sunshine is it's a bit more than that. I mean, being I think as an introvert, it's difficult because you know that you can't get away from the cameras and have a break. And but it was cool. It was a really good challenge. I think afterwards was hard. The fame took a long time to get used to. But it's like anything in life. I said earlier, you get used to it. I feel good when people some comes at me and says. Alex, you know, that post your pill campaign, that's really helped me. That is the best feeling. So I don't Definitely. care about the fame in terms yeah. of that, you know, because I'm a big believer we're all the same. You enter the world in a very similar way, you leave it very similar. Yeah, you really okay. do. There's different variations, but you pretty much come and go the same way. So I'm not a big believer that anyone's better than anyone else. Uh, and I think if you start falling into that trap, in it, I'm not just talking about fame. You know, people in careers, just because you're a consultant or in a hospital, or just because you're, you know, got this fancy job, you know, as a banker or whatever, it doesn't make you any different to anyone else oh we're all human we're you all know, human we're all humans You're, we're all susceptible the same problems the same exactly um, exactly and I guess like that show just opened so many doors for you and it changed your life and I guess really drilling into the slang doors moment if you hadn't have been on the dating app if someone hadn't have seen you yeah. you know it's all those small little things that actually led you to kind of this larger purpose that you said you're always searching for so that's the thing I love is kind of the, you know if you hadn't if just you know if you hadn't have been single at the time you wouldn't have they wouldn't have seen you so I love thank that moment <laughs> thank you so much um, and I love that <laughs> moment as well because I think it's it's in, I think it's important for people to know that you didn't apply because I think a lot of people probably think that you did yeah. and um, it's great. And it takes us on to your last moment, which is deciding to go back to Lewisham after the show and continue working in A&E. So I think you are quite a unique graduate of Love Island because I think that you've, you've really... Graduate, kind of, you graduate. Graduate, yeah, you graduated <laughs> from Love Island. That's my own little wordsmith there. Um, and, you know, I think you made that important decision to keep doing what you're doing. You were, as you say, you were, it was just what you would always have done. You weren't ever thinking about anything else. But explain kind of how this was a sliding doors decision for you. Were you ever really torn? Was, were people like, you don't do that. That's the wrong thing. How did you come to kind of make this decision to go back to A&E? Uh, I mean, I was. I think the simple and the, the, the truthful answer is I was always, always going to go back. It was never a question. Like other people used to ask, are you going to go back? And I was like, 
It's not a question that I was debating. Um, you know, I, I took a period of time because I, I needed to settle and sort my own head out and get used to everything. Um, but yeah, I, I went back as soon as I could. But as soon as I felt that it was feasible, I went back and I felt that I was comfortable enough to go back. Uh, you know, I did it. And uh, I'm so glad I did because it was the best thing I ever did for my mental health, really. It gave me grounding. It reminded me of what a real hard day's work is all about. And, yeah. um, you know, it reminded me of who I was and what I care about. And, and ultimately, it realigned everything that I do outside. And, and, you know, I had to be careful. I have to be careful now that I'm not working because you can easily end up getting an inflated sense of self. You can end up, you know, uh, lost in a way but the thing that keeps me in that same grounding I guess as A&E is my mental health work it is speaking to kids it's speaking and you know hearing the things that are going on the problems that are in the world and those things help me stay grounded in the same way that A&E gave me that grounding and I think I'll always need that I think you should always have something like if we're talking about purpose really aren't we something there should always be a sense of purpose somewhere and that purpose often is something that reminds you again of like who you are and where you're from and where you're going. And, and, and that that has been very important to me, I think. And did anyone kind of in the showbiz world, because, you know, you're guessing you come out of Love Island and you've got this fame. Did anyone ever kind of question and try and change your decision to go back into A&E? No, not really. Not really. And I just want the person that you were talking about, Dr. Hillary earlier. Dr. Hillary was wonderful to me. I mean, he was brilliant. I mean, a lot of medics can be very... Uh, question questioning of, of of people that do things different. Like yeah. I, I'm sure, I, I, mean, so I did have a lot of critics and stuff like that in the, in the medical world. I think very different now. It's it's interesting. I think it's it's quite. I don't I haven't or don't meet many people now that critique me. I think it's in terms of the medical medics. I'm sure there are and some people are like, oh god, I don't like him. He's or whatever. But you know, there's always people that don't like you in life. That that is life. But I think the majority now are very very supportive actually and and. You know, I think that's because we know what it's like to slog in the hospital. And it's fine, I'm not doing it anymore, but I'm sure they can imagine what a slog it is to work in poli- in the political world as well. Yeah. So I, I think it's um, it's just staying true to yourself and people were supportive of that. And, you know, it, it was the right thing to do. I made the right decision. And I think you humanised it because I think, you know, a lot of people can be like, oh, there's a doctor on Love Island. Like, obviously, he's not a real doctor or obviously he wants to just be famous now. And I think your decision to go back into A&E, as you say, it opened up doors for other people to realise you can take little breaks in your career and still go back and do what you love. But I also think, you know, it, it showed you as being human and someone that still wanted to do what you did. And I guess going back into A&E, you know, it's, it's such a big thing to do. How how much has kind of that shaped your life over the past few years, deciding to kind of go back in? Well, like I said, it's changed everything. I mean, particularly in the pandemic, there was a second question. I didn't have to say, but the knock-on effect of that was I didn't see my family. I was completely isolated on my own. Mm-hmm. I followed the rules, the tea, because I, I kind of had to. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I ultimately I never saw my brother again. So those mm-hmm. decisions had a profound effect. And I think that's when... You know, I'd lose patience sometimes with some people who are... Well, I'd lost patience with people saying, oh, COVID's fake, the vaccine this, vaccine that. I'm like, you know what? I lost my brother in that time. Yeah. And my bro- family following the rules probably pushed him over the edge uh, of whatever he was facing. I mean, we don't really mm-hmm. know. But, you know, it, it, I think people got to wake up a little bit. You know, like we've all sacrificed. And then that's why I, get, I do get pissed off sometimes when people forget that... You know, just because you're in a position and people would see me in a position of privilege doesn't mean I've not gone through difficult oh, things. Of course not. But I also think that that's same with ever, true of everyone. And yeah. I think that life taught me to not judge. I used to be quite judgmental, I think. Oh, I used to kind yeah. of judge people's decisions. And I've just learned, like, do you know what? 
we're all going through our own stuff. It's not worth your personal we're energy. Yeah. We're all going through stuff. You've got stuff. I've got stuff. Everyone's got stuff. That's life. And even if stuff, someone doesn't have any stuff going on right now, you don't know what they're going to face in a few years' time. You know, so it, it, I, I've, I've learned that. And it's been something that's, that was one very big thing I learned about going back to uni and, and working throughout the pandemic is that, you know, focus on your friends, your family, your life, what you care about. Don't worry about too much what everyone else is saying. Yeah, give everyone a little bit of a break. And I think one message I think that's great that you give that I want people to take away from our discussion today is also that, you know, your path doesn't have to be linear. You can be a lawyer, you could be an accountant, you can be a doctor. Doesn't mean you have to, and I know our parents probably drill it into us because it was their generation to stay in the same career and do what you want to do. But I think you're a brilliant um, example of someone that, you know, does what you love, you veered off, you might veer back again, you've started, you know, you've even got, we haven't even spoken about your whole bath bottom business, but you know, you've, you can try things and things are available to us. And, you know, you can say yes to Love Island, you can say no to Love Island, but don't ever be scared to say yes to something because you think it's going to take you off you know a certain path because it could lead you to another one every everything that you experience enriches your life everything you do is part of your and the word journey is a horrible word where i hate it but it is part of it it's part of your story if you like you know and, and ultimately the more lives that you live in your time that I think the more fulfilled you'll feel. And it doesn't mean don't stick to things. There's a big difference between flitting around. If you're going to, I think one thing in life, I said, I said this many times, I've said this far too many times, but something I really care about is if you're going to say something, you're going to say you're going to do something, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, stick to, be someone who sticks to your word. If you tell someone, I'm going to be there for, a, you know, a coffee with you tomorrow, unless there's some real good reason, be there. You know, there. and be there, and and if you're gonna say, do you know, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go and do this, unless there's something that's happened that has changed your mind, or some new piece of information you didn't have, or new experience you didn't have that's changed your outlook, you need to stick to it. Don't fleet around. Stick to it because nothing is easy. Nothing that is good or worthwhile or truly rewarding is achieved easily. A hundred percent. Medics the same with it. We, we, we go to uni and go, oh, I need to get into second year. I need to get 30 or 40. You graduate, right? I need to become an SHO. What's an SHO? We're need to always chasing. What, what, what are you chasing? Because do you know what? You speak to a consultant in the ward and they say, when I say, when was your favourite time? They say, well, it was an F1 or an F2, as in the first two years. I think. They always go, I wish I hadn't have just gone straight through and now I've got kids and it's so stressful. I've got to run the whole ward. I've got managers in my ear. You think that the top is easier it's not necessarily the case. So enjoy yeah. where you are because you never know where, you, where you're going. So true. It's like when you're a kid and all you want to be is an adult, then you get an adult and you're like, why didn't I just want to stay a kid? Enjoy, just enjoy Don't the know. moment as much as you can. And that's why I think even life's difficult moments, enjoy them as much as you can. And I know that's mm. a mad thing to say, but no, no, you know, when I you look it. back in your life, you know, like breakups, breakups are hard, but you know what, you get over them. Yeah. And you look back in your next relationship, you're like, oh, why, did I, why is I crying about that so much? You know, feel mm. the things you feel, but don't dwell on them. Learn yeah. them and move on. Yeah. Oh, Alex, I could talk to you all day, um, but we're going to have to leave it there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Thank you so, so much for being so open and honest and for everything that you do, because it's such an important discussion for people to have. And it's so important um, for for you to kind of be real and be you and talk about everything that you do. So thank you so much for sharing all your moments with us today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Alex. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.